all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center here with you this morning. Glad to be here on this Wednesday to answer your questions or hear your comments on various medical topics that might be of interest to you or maybe somebody in your family. Might be a new medication that you've been put on or a potential medication that you're interested in to see if it'll help whatever ails you, you can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. If you're not able to call, we always welcome emails. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. And you can check out both our podcast and our website, mpbonline.org, for archive programs. If you didn't quite catch one, you can uh, check them out on mpbonline.org or on our podcast. Hope everybody's having a great time. I know a lot of people are vacationing in different uh, different spots. I uh, was actually at the beach myself uh, for a little while last week and uh, had a really good time there with uh, friends and family and uh, had pretty good weather too. Elsa um, uh, just let it go. Uh, did you catch that? Uh, she just went a different route from the Mississippi Gulf Coast coast and uh, uh, we were we were happy uh, happy that she did not take an easy a westerly uh, track uh, but um, always good to uh, to stay safe while you're at the beach uh, certainly there was a lot of strong currents if you're headed down there keep that in mind try not to uh, to uh, make too many dangerous decisions like that while you're having fun where plenty of sunblock and uh, pay attention to all those safety rules that might be there and of course, the most, uh, you know, sometimes the most frustrating or the most dangerous part of going to the beach is actually the drive down, uh, particularly if you're coming from Mississippi to the Alabama, Florida uh, Gulf Coast. There's, a, and as you know, a lot of traffic uh, who, um, uh, that you have to avoid. So just be careful if you're going. Uh, the number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's take our first caller, Sharon from New Albany. Good morning, Sharon. Thank you for calling. Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, I'm calling about um, as we get older. I, uh, I'm 66, and I have two friends. One is 66. The other is 70. And uh, they each have suffered recently some health issues. One had to have radiation and chemo, and she survived. She's well. And then my other friend, the older one, had some major surgery earlier this year. The question is, I have, no, I have noticed a, a difference uh, significant to some degree in their mental 
I guess, um, I don't know, acuity, if that's really the right term, but, you know, they'll repeat things. They just don't seem as sharp. And, of course, I've heard of, I guess they call it chemo brain after you've gone through radiation. All But I guess my big question is, is there any possible way or exercises or certain things you can do to bring back some of that sharpness that is noticeably missing now? Yeah, Sharon, that's a great question and one that we see often. Um, and you mentioned a couple of different instances that you might see that. You know, our, our mental function uh, tends to depend on a number of things. Certainly any type of chronic health condition, whether that's a chronic disease like diabetes or hypertension uh, or treatments that are aimed at things like cancers, like certain cancers, you can see a, a mental decline with those. And Neurobiologists are, are, you know, have recognized this for some time. There are a lot of studies looking at that, particularly with chemotherapy for various conditions. Uh, Post-anesthesia can be a reason that you would have a mental decline as well. So a lot of patients, particularly as you get older, they um, will notice that a decline in mental functioning uh, as they get older with an elective uh, or emergent surgery. So as far as anything to do for that, it really depends on what's going on. So you need a good exam to make sure there aren't some things that can't be changed um, in their ongoing treatment. So talking about the kind of mental decline with their physicians, even if that's not their specialty, they can get them to people that can, uh, you know, like we have the Mind Center, which is primarily for dementia and those kinds of changes that you get older. But it's also for younger individuals, and certainly I would say 60s and 70s would be uh, sort of in that younger age range when you wouldn't typically see that. As far as anything to take, um, you know, there's a lot of things out there. Prevagen comes to mind. That's uh, sort of a number of things out there that you can take that sort of tout that that'll, it will um, increase your mental capacity, your ability to recall different things. Really, there's not a whole lot of data on those. If it's true dementia, there are some medications that may improve mental uh, faculties. Eating healthy and exercise and exercising your brain, too. We do know that um, we've seen this a little bit in COVID. If, if you have social isolation, you're not doing some of the tasks, particularly uh, the arts and with uh, sort of the right brain, left brain type activities with some of the more cognitive stepwise processes and then the arts or um, um, uh, left side of the brain. Doing those kinds of things regularly, and even if you haven't done it before, can help to regain some of that capacity. So that would be my suggestion. Certainly, they could work with a psychologist who is accomplished in this area. Uh, they just have to ask around about that. But I wouldn't just say, oh, it's chemo brain. We can't do anything about it. I think having somebody, a professional, that can really work with them on that, uh, it's very important, even if you're older. Uh, you can regain some of that capacity if you work at it. Good. That's good to know. I mean, obviously, they've been through some serious health issues, but, you know, as they're recovering, it's pretty noticeable. Unfortunately, one of my friends, she has some, it, it was some physical issues that the exercise she's going through a lot of rehab and also she's probably getting as much of the physical as she's going to be able to capture but 
anyway, I appreciate that, and um, I'll try to find a way to talk to her or the family. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, and thanks for sharing that. I'm sure there's others out there that either have somebody in their family or friends that are dealing with the same kind of thing. So do appreciate that. We get great questions that really drive the content on this program, so that, that's why you should call in to Southern Remedy right now. Uh, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Um, you know, we used to think that as you get older, that you just lose a lot of that capacity and you can be a little bit slower in some of those recent activities. You know, it's very common as you get older to not know where you you put your keys the night before or uh, you get started in a task, you get interrupted and then you forget what you were doing in that task. Um, those are the kind of things that are OK or it's a name. If somebody asks you, hey, what's the name of that person? Uh, and it takes you a little bit longer to to, to recall that. <clears throat> Usually, long-term memory is preserved. Um, it has the, the best preservation over time, even if you have an insult to the brain. Uh, but you can, the brain is very plastic. We used to think that after a certain age, you're not able to regain that functioning. It can change over time, and you can sort of reprogram that, not just in individuals who've had strokes or other insults to the brain, but also for sort of some of the chronic changes. So it is an organ, too, that needs its exercise. It's just exercise a little bit differently. And then, of course, getting good blood flow to the brain and getting all the nutrients that you need for good, healthy brain function, that's very important, too. So I encourage you to do that as much as possible. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning. Plenty of time for you to call in. I would encourage you to call in on the first half of the hour. Sometimes we get up to the last 15 or uh, 20 minutes or so, and we're not able to get to everyone or give them the time that they need. Or if you want to send us an email, feel uh, free to do that. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. And speaking of one, I'm going to share one that uh, somebody sent. Uh, they said, hello, Dr. Stewart. While I'm aware you're not a dermatologist, I would like your opinion on skin and bruising. I'm a healthy male in my mid-70s, and I have noticed that I easily bruise on the top side of my forearms. I do not take blood thinners, nor, I, nor am I on aspirin uh, for any reason. My only medication is a statin for my cholesterol. However, the slightest bump or scrape in my forearms uh, will cause me to bruise or to um, uh, bruise quickly. It usually is a dark red bruise that comes up. I'm not seeing this bruising on any other areas of my body, including the underside of my forearms. I assume the easy bruising on the outer sides may be the result of thinning skin due to the sun since they're most easily exposed. Do you concur or uh, with these uh, other considerations and to prevent uh, or lessen the bruising will ingesting powder, collagen, peptides, mixed in my daily coffee, or applying a topical vitamin E cream help. So good questions about thinning of the skin as you get older. And uh, it's very common to do that. Um, the, it's not just actually the surface of the skin that gets thin. It's also the capillary. So there's something called capillary fragility. So the, the lining of those capillaries and the, uh, the structure of them weakens over time so that you can have bleeding underneath the skin with even sometimes if you just brush up to something. Now, of course, uh, in our uh, emailers, email these not only any blood thinners, but of course, blood thinners will increase the risk of that. So things like aspirin, Eliquis, Xarelto, uh, Warfarin, those are all common blood thinners if you're on any of those. 
uh, you may see that increase, but you don't have to be. As far as anything to take for that, um, certainly anything that helps keep the skin moist and not dried out, that will help. And it really doesn't matter what you use. You don't have to use like a vitamin E ointment or something with different vitamins. You really don't, you, you can't really absorb that much through your skin, particularly bigger molecules like that that are fat soluble. But it's in keeping that hydration layer, layer on the skin there. That's important so that it doesn't dry out because that will make it more likely to bruise or to uh, bleed. The other thing you ask about is the collagen powders. Now, I've seen this in uh, coffee shops. Uh, it's all the rage now. You can get collagen powder and add that to different things. You know, collagen is a protein that is used by the body for different things. So uh, it's used in the skin. It's used in, uh, it's sort of a protein that helps to maintain that elasticity and integrity of the skin. Now, your body makes collagen in different areas, and certainly you would have, you know, if you ingest collagen by any means, you're going to break down those proteins into their amino acids. They're just going to be absorbed into the body, and then they're going to be remade into different things, not necessarily collagen, but certainly it, you've got all the building blocks in there. So uh, you, you don't have to do that. Uh, there's not, to my knowledge, any uh, good studies saying that it, you, by uh, taking these collagen supplements that you're going to have decreased bruising on your forearms. But it's not such a bad idea. It's not going to hurt you to do that, particularly if you're not on other medications. So something that's unfortunately normal as we age, and uh, you can do a couple of different things uh, just with a healthy diet, uh, I would say to our uh, emailer uh, listener, uh, it's not going to hurt to do that collagen. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. morning answering your questions and taking your calls about any kind of health care issue that you might be interested in. The number to call this morning is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Mike from Horn Hernando. Sorry there, Mike. I'm just mispronouncing everything this morning. Thanks for calling. Uh, doctor, let me ask you a question. Sure. The obvious answer to this is simplistic, I realize, uh, physical exercise, that kind of thing. But I'm an artist, I'm also a writer, <clears throat> and I'm getting tingling in my fingers. I'm 76. Um, I'm healthy. However, that's, to me, a first trigger sign of blood flow to the extremities. Is there, outside of doing physical exercise, walking, that kind of thing, is there a chemical tablet pill 
something I can get at a drugstore that would help increase blood flow? Yeah, great question, Mike. So that's a common thing. It can be, uh, it's, it's not just something that, uh, you know, actually the answer is a lot more complex maybe than simple, but there's a lot of different reasons why you might be having that. The most common one is just a compression of the nerves. So there's two main nerves, well, actually three main nerves that branch out and innervate the hand, one on the backside, two on the, on the uh, palmer side. And any one of those nerves can be compressed at different levels from your spinal column all the way down your arm to the extremities. So if, and a lot of that's postural too. So if you're, you know, like carpal tunnel is probably the most widely known, but you can have problems with the ulnar nerve, the radial nerve. Uh, and if you have any kind of pressure like that, they can have a cyst on it. That's a fairly easy fix. Uh, and when you relieve that pressure, so that may be one thing. If it's bilateral on both hands though, it can still be a compression, but it may be some other things. There are some disorders where you're not getting enough uh, things like vitamin B12 is a good example of that. So if you have what's called pernicious anemia uh, or uh, from that, uh, or if you just have a vitamin B12 deficiency, that will um, affect the, uh, the feeling in your hands and generally your feet. So it's sort of a stocking glove distribution of that. And uh, there's other, there's other uh, neuropathies that are out there. If you have diabetes, that's one that can cause some of the same things. If you're a smoker, that's one of the easiest things that you can do to increase blood flow to those areas. Uh, so all of those things might be going on. I would say pay attention to how you're sitting. If you're applying pressure to the elbow down in repetitive ways on both of your arms, that could be an easy fix so that your fingers aren't, uh, aren't uh, numb or tingling. And usually that's at the, at the lower arm at about a 90 degree position. And then if you reach out to hold a cup, that is the, um, to pick up a cup at that 90 degree level, that's, that's about the, the neutral position of the wrist. And the, that'll give a little bit more movement in there. So if you can position your keyboard or however you're writing or sitting, that may help and be an easy fix. The other thing that people find at night when they sleep, they sometimes compress those nerves because of the funny ways that we get tangled up like pretzel uh, at night. Um, but if you want to just try a B-complex vitamin, uh, those are totally safe to take. And you can take one or two, even two of those a day. But all the B vitamins get um, uh, filtered out in the urine, so it's not a big problem with any accumulation. You might want to try that, and you might have some good effects with it. But that would be my stepwise approach to it and to make sure there's not any other diseases or anything that are affecting it. There are a lot of other acquired neuropathies that can present that way. And if you're not getting, you know, if it's persistent, you may need to see a neurologist so they can maybe tease out what's going on. Well, the reason I asked you is um, I'm very physical. I'm 76, but I've never been sick, never, never broken anything. And uh, very active to this day, but I have noticed that my hands, they are right now, I'm driving the car and my hands are just a little bit tingly, numbish. And I notice if I hold my arm, let my arms just hang straight down, it starts to go away. And I thought, well, maybe that's blood flow related. And because uh, I, I walk everywhere, you know, I'm, there's physically, even our mayor jokes with me, he says, good Lord, you, you don't act your age. But I said, well, I do have this tingly thing, and I'm an artist. I draw. 
I draw for national publications. I write for two national magazines. And I'm suddenly realizing this is beginning to bug me. And I thought if there's something I could take along with just a walk a lot and that kind of things, but it just seems to be a little persistent. And you think a B-complex vitamin might help? Yeah, I think that's fine. But what you just described, I, it makes me think even more that that's a compression and it's not necessarily a blood flow problem. When, oh. If you can, you know, if you can, even though you're getting more blood flow with gravity when you put your hands down, you're yeah. probably, they're more in a, they're in a more neutral position when that happens. Uh, you know, that going from 90, you know, holding a, a steering wheel of a car down, you mm -hmm. should, that shouldn't be a, a reduction in blood flow. And usually you're going to see that in the lower extremities before you see it in the upper extremities. Yeah, so, and I, I don't feel anything in the lower extremities. It's just yeah, both of my hands yeah. and, up it, and it doesn't go any further than my wrists. But, yeah. um, and I'm wondering what, what, again, what would be compressing them? What, just the way I'm holding my arms or something? Yeah, and it's, if it's repetitive, and particularly as much as you're using your hands and those lumbrical muscles and the other muscles in your hands and forearm, that mm -hmm. over time, or even you can have bone growth from the bones in the wrist that okay. encase or press on those nerves. So uh, try some wrist splints at night. Where Try those and see if that helps. Try what? And, uh, try what? That'd be an easy fix, too. Try what? wrist splints and you can get those in any pharmacy that's sort of a, 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 a wrist splint that you would wear again in that neutral position uh at night or you know during the day sometime too and that might help okay i'm, I'm not sure i understood what you meant did you say a wrist brace yeah yeah splint oh, would I be gotcha. the same thing as a, as a, a brace correct all right yeah. so between those and maybe taking a vitamin complex vitamin b12 complex that might help yeah, yeah, try those first, and if you don't get anywhere with that, I would probably contact a neurologist. Okay, no. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. All right, Mike, and hey, thanks for not acting your age. That uh, Kudos to you <laughs> for doing that. Uh, our mayor drives me. He and I walk together and everything. He he gets mad at me all the time because I joke with him that I can outrun him, and he's, he's 52. And he <laughs> grins, and he says, yeah, you probably can. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mike, thanks for listening, and thank you for calling. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. This is uh, Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Rachel from Eupora. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, doctor. Um, so my question is, what are some other options other than uh, beta blockers for controlling AFib? Yeah. So there's two different uh, there's two different thoughts on this, and it's swung both ways. One of them is you control the rhythm, so how fast your heart is beating. Uh, I'm sorry, the rate, the rate control. The other is to is to control the rhythm, which means you get back into a regular rhythm out of the AFib and into a normal sinus rhythm. So it's the more regular there. And uh, for Rachel, if you don't mind my asking, how old are you? I am. Uh almost 69 i'll be 69 on the 19th oh well happy early birthday there thank you um, so um basically you know there's a lot of risk factors that go into that and you have to talk to the cardiologist about what's best now a beta blocker works to just slow down the heart rate so basically 
atrial fibrillation, usually it has a faster heart rate because of the extra impulses that are being produced in the atria. That's the top two chambers of, the, of your heart. And that causes the lower chambers to beat more rapidly. So you, the rate or your pulse rate will be higher. The beta blocker helps to slow that down. Um, so it's more of a, of a rate control, not a rhythm control. Now, you may be a candidate to try to either uh, with a medication or with an intervention that an electrophysiology cardiologist would do um, to try to eliminate that little center in your, um, in your uh, atria to, uh, to quit producing those extra signals. And that's fairly successful. It does have to have multiple treatments. So I don't know if you've seen somebody like that, but that would be the way to not have to take the beta blocker because usually once you correct that, you wouldn't have to take it. There are other uh, medications that can help with both rate and rhythm control. Propafenone is one. Uh, it acts a little bit like a beta blocker in that it will decrease your heart rate, but it also can help get you back into that regular rhythm. But the cardiologists are, the, are your experts on that. They're gonna wanna do certain tests like an echo of your heart and to see how long, uh, to try to predict how long you've had this. And then also to look for any causes of it. So a lot of people will have things like thyroid problems that if they're not addressed appropriately, that'll cause the AFib. If you correct the thyroid problem, uh, the AFib goes away. So um, all those different things can sort of play into it. But yeah, a beta blocker is not, it, it's really more about slowing that rate down and there's plenty of other ways to treat atrial fibrillation. Uh -huh. Because uh, I took a beta blocker years ago. I think it was for blood pressure. And it actually made me depressed. Uh, yeah. And, that, yeah, and I don't that, want that's to do a, that, that again. Right. And, well, I will say this. There are other beta blockers out there. Now, some of the older ones did have that as a side effect. Or people uh -huh. would say, I just, I just feel slow all the time. Uh, so it may not, you may not have the same effect, side effect on a newer beta blocker. But if that's what they want to do to slow your heart rate down, there's a couple other options too. So I'd, I'd ask them just, and that's fine, just to say, hey, what are my options here? I heard that I might can, you know, am I a candidate for getting back in a regular rhythm? Or are we sort of stuck trying to just slow the heart rate down a little bit? But um, mm -hmm. even if even if it's a beta blocker, it may not be the same one, uh, you know, that you were on before, because we used to have lots of beta blockers that have those side effects. And uh -huh. unfortunately, depression was one of them. The newer ones are a little bit better and don't have as many of those side effects. Well, I don't know that I need to have my heart uh, rhythm slowed down. It's in the 80s most of the time and then every once in a while though it will drop down to as low as 40 and then sometimes it's up as high as 90 so yeah if it's that variable um you, you definitely need to be talking to a cardiologist about that and um, oh i and am again, i am yeah are they an uh, expert in in you know if they're like an electrophysiology cardiologist or or a just a uh, um, uh, just a regular uh, cardiologist? Yeah, ask them to see an electrophysiology cardiologist because they're the ones who they are a little bit have a little bit more expertise in these irregular rhythms. Even though AFib is very common, 
But if you've got that much variability, I would be a little hesitant to put you on a beta blocker. And I'm not a cardiologist. Well, that's what I thought too. That's what yeah. I thought too. Because you could yeah. get, to, you know, you could get the heart rate too low. They also, if they haven't already, they may want to do a um, a uh, a monitoring study. There's different ways to do that. The old Holter monitor that you used to wear, they've got that way down to just a little device that's taped yeah, to your I chest did, wall. Yeah, I did that. Yeah. Uh, I did yes. that for two weeks, and uh, I don't know. I I, I was just kind of uh, surprised that a beta blocker was suggested. But anyway, yeah. I I uh, made a note here to possibly see an electrophysiologist. Yeah, that's that's what I would take to them, and they're going to know who who the, the uh, referral uh, people are for that. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. The first question that we get when someone comes in is, how is the Ulysses S. Grant Presidential Library in Mississippi? Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We have every letter Grant ever wrote and every letter ever written to him. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of healthcare issue that you might have. Let's go to our next caller, Sarah from Mobile. Good morning, Sarah. Thank you for calling this morning. Good morning. Um, I, this is very simple. About in '05, I had a mastectomy, and at the time, uh, the oncologist told me to stay off of uh, everything soy, and I was eating a lot of soy. And so I've I've done that to, to uh, all, I'm 85 now, and I've done that up till now, and I, I'm questioning it because I hear different things about that. Uh, could I take soy now? Do you think? I think you could probably eat a little bit of soybeans or soy products. I probably wouldn't take it as a supplement. And the reason that they probably told you that is that soy has a, it's called a phytoestrogen. So estrogens, as most people are familiar, are some of the hormones that in females uh, that are uh, help with different development of some of the female sexual uh, maturity and characteristics, and they help maintain a lot of tissues. Um, but if you have breast cancer, certain types of breast cancers have those estrogen receptors on them, and in the presence of that estrogen, they can grow and multiply. So some, even some of our chemotherapeutic agents uh, are targeted towards that receptor to block it. So if you're taking external estrogen uh, you know, as a supplement for whatever reason, that could potentially 
cause that cancer, even if you've you know been cancer free, that could cause that cancer to to grow and develop and, and to metastasize to different places. So that's probably why they told you not to do that. It is a little bit different um, estrogen in the soy, and it's probably not as much of a risk. But I would feel comfortable like if you like soybeans and eat that, that's fine. I probably would not take it as a supplement still, just because of some potential risk that's theoretical. But um, that's the reasoning behind that is because it has phytoestrogens in it. So that's just a different type of estrogen. Well, I've I've been off of it this long. I guess I can continue. (laughs) That's right. That's right. One one thing, right? I I understand, though, like there's some things are like, oh, if I just had that, that would be nice to have. But yeah, yeah. I think eating, you know, soybeans or something like that every once in a while would be fine. Well, thank you so much. All right. You take care. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, phytoestrogens have been used for uh, perimenopausal symptoms. So um, they've been studied and a lot of people say, yeah, if I take uh, or I eat soybeans or if I take soy products, those phytoestrogens will help with some of those uh, hot flashes and other nasty side effects from uh, menopause. All right, let's go to Randy and Hernando. Good morning, Randy. Thanks for coming on this morning. Thank you, Dr. Jimmy. I appreciate it. Uh, sure. I'll make it quick. Um, my wife suffers from post-herpetic neuralgia symptoms from shingles from 10 years ago, and it's really bad. She's tried uh, the freezing procedure. She's tried acupuncture. We tried everything short of nerve ablation, uh, which we're considering going to a pain clinic or something now, and uh, her shingles were misdiagnosed for a long time, so she went for a couple of months with them, even though it was a very minor outbreak. Uh, she didn't get any treatment for a long, long time, and she suffered from this nerve damage. Can you uh, help us with that? And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just listen for your answer. Sure. Thanks, Aunt Randy. Uh, yeah, man, that is a nasty thing to have. So shingles is, uh, is caused by the chickenpox virus. So it's the same virus, varicella, uh, uh, that causes the chickenpox but it pops back out in the distribution of a nerve and those little vesicles that you get as a uh, the little blisters that you would get with chicken pox, you can get those along the nerve. And the thing about it is the pain, uh, it, you can experience that after all the other stuff goes away. So, uh, and it can be months, it can be years, unfortunately, for a lot of people. So you mentioned a couple of things that have been tried, freezing, uh, there's different medications that you can take, uh, some of the uh, chronic neuropathy treatments like gabapentin uh, have been used. Cymbalta is one for chronic pain, particularly neuropathic pain. Uh, but once you get down the line to where it sounds like you are, I think the pain specialists are going to be the people. You mentioned nerve ablation. Now, depending on the distribution of where that, that uh, shingles was, it may not be such a big deal. For instance, if it's a, it was one or two nerves in the, around the, the torso uh, that if they, they can go in and they can inject at where that nerve root comes out. And basically what you're going to have is a little numbness in that area uh, in the same distribution uh, all the way around you. But it's not going to be a very big area. So depending on where it is, obviously if it's in the face or on the hands, you may not want to do that because you're going to lose sensation there. But a pain specialist. 
Hospitals may have other things that they can recommend, either medications or procedures uh, that are going to help out or hopefully potentially help out. And it may be a combination of things, too. Um, that's not too uncommon. Nasty thing to get. By the way, you can help reduce your risk by getting uh, the uh, Zoster vaccine. There are two out there. There's one that's a two-injection, uh, uh, two-stage injection. That's probably the best one out there, the recombinant one. You can't get Zoster from that, uh, but it help, can certainly, uh, or shingles from that, You can it can certainly help reduce your risk, though, of getting that. So check into that. Uh, you can actually just call your pharmacy and see if you qualify, and you don't even have to have a prescription. And a lot of times you can just go down there and say, hey, I want my, uh, I, I want to see if I can get my shingles vaccination. Um, so that's something to check out. But yeah, pain specialist would be the next person on the list that I would check out to help with that pain. Let's go to Bradley in Tupelo. Good morning, Bradley. Oh, good morning. What's your question uh, this morning? Quick question. Oh, I apologize. Um, quick um, general question. What is post-concussional syndrome? I've been diagnosed with that. And could you speak to that? Yeah. So in a concussion, you know, you have damage to the brain, and it can be uh, different parts of the brain, but basically your brain's getting sort of pushed around in the skull, and you can have little fractures of the neurons that uh, talk to each other. And the downstream effects of that it can be memory loss, it can be behavioral changes, uh, it can be all kinds of different things. And over time, those can actually get a little worse. You can also be at increased risk for dementia with that. The best data coming out of this is from the NFL. So they have an ongoing study of uh, former NFL athletes uh, to, who had, you know, who were exposed to concussions, and they followed them with neuroimaging, so things like an MRI sequentially or with uh, mental testing. And they developed some ways to uh, identify this early and treat it. I would recommend if you're not in a program like that, and usually this would be a neurologist or um, uh, a center that, that is um, focused on uh, dementia and aging and those kinds of things, those would be the people that I would try to get involved in. Just because you have it doesn't mean that there can't be really effective treatments to help slow that decline or to even improve some of the symptoms that you're having. And it can be different for different people. Some people may only have mild, uh, mild memory loss. Some people have chronic headaches. Others have uh, problems with their hearing or vision. Uh, you can have all kinds of different symptoms, but it all stems back to that initial damage that they had, and uh, that can persist for years or decades even. So. I would try to see somebody, uh, Bradley, you're up in the Tupelo area. I think uh, there's probably somebody there that if you're not hooked up with, that's that's what I would do. And they may even want to put you on some medications to try to treat some of those symptoms. For example? I'm sorry? Oh, well, you know, what kind of medication, if you could suggest one? It, it, I'm just curious. Yeah, it really, it's, yeah, it's not just one. It really depends on the type of symptoms that you're having. So, for instance, if you're having headaches, they may go down a different route with some medications to treat those, uh, to try to prevent those headaches, similar to how you would treat migraines. Um, and then if, But if it's memory loss, it may be a totally different medication. So 
Those tend to be some of the medications that are used in the treatment of dementia from other disorders, but it really depends on your overall symptoms. And um, that that's why it's important for somebody who, you know, not just does the headaches or does uh, memory loss, but does sort of all of it to try to coordinate. So it sounds like, uh, if I can be clear here, um, this is something that's not going to go away. Yeah, usually not, particularly if you're more than a, a few years from the initial event. Those symptoms are more likely to stay with you. They could be managed, but they're probably not going to go away totally. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning answering your questions about any kind of uh, healthcare question that you might have. Send us an email if we don't get you to today or you weren't able to call in. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to go to Jimmy from Greenville. Good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Uh, question concerning um, degenerative disc disease and pain management of uh, Yeah. Just, just, just in general, or like, how do you manage yeah. that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, the disc between our vertebral bodies and our spinal column, they're really cushions, and they help to cushion those uh, those bones so that you can move around. If we didn't have those, we'd just walk around stiff all the time and wouldn't be able to curve our spines in different ways. So they give us mobility. They break down over time, though, particularly the interior parts of those become a little bit harder and so the outside becomes a little bit harder, and you can uh, sometimes they'll, they'll sort of burst that material out. So if you have degenerative disc, one of the best things you can do is, is physical therapy. I know some people just hate it. I saw one of my patients this week, and they're like, I absolutely hate physical therapy. I said, try it. We, nobody likes it beginning, uh, beginning it, but usually it can help you. And the reason for that is it helps to take some of the stressors off your back and put them on your muscles and your core muscles. So most of the time, there's a, a little bit of a problem there. Now, you could have some shifts in those vertebral bodies, too, that that could help out on. Um, but check with your physician. You will need a prescription for that unless you're just going to pay out of pocket. But um, that's something that you can do that can help out that's very conservative. 
pain medications, it's not recommended other than like Tylenol and occasional ibuprofen that you take those routinely. Certain a lot of the certainly a lot of the narcotics and opioids, they can help with pain, but they, they should only be prescribed for about two or three days at a time in most circumstances, just because of the risk of, of chronic uh, you know dependency on those. And then there's there's a lot of other medications out there that can help with that. And every once in a while, you may need some other things like a short course of um, of muscle relaxants or um, lots of other therapies. We mentioned a pain specialist earlier on in the program. They can be very helpful too uh, to try to uh, do some other modalities if those other things aren't working. But the first step would be physical therapy. If you haven't done that, that would be my first step. Okay. Well, I've done physical therapy, which helped temporarily. Yeah. Um, but then sporadically, uh, I would have problems with uh, a lot of pain, but not constantly, but sporadically, yeah. say every three or four weeks. Um, so uh, and, and I, pain I, I've talked to my physician about uh, pain, you know, going to a a pain management clinic or something to, to probably yeah. narrow down stuff. And, yeah, they can. That, that would probably be a good next step because they can do some things that might help you out. You might have to continue to see them periodically, but that can keep you moving and mobile, which is the real goal. Um, it's unlikely that you get total, you know, uh, absence of the pain, but but getting you back to doing the things that are important to you, uh, that's going to be the goal that's important very much. All right, Jimmy, thank you for calling. We're going to go to William from Starkville. Good morning, William. We got about three minutes, I think. <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't know whether we can uh, make it, but uh, uh, I was uh, recently diagnosed with uh, uh, AFib, atrial fibrillation. I'm 90 years old. I've been an athlete all my life. I'm in excellent health, uh, low blood pressure, everything, no diabetes. And I want to know what are the odds of what are the true hard statistics of the chance uh, annually probably of a of a uh, stroke with or without use of Eliquis. I run, I walk uh, three miles three times a week. Uh, yeah. Hard. Yeah. With, uh, so, a group. Yeah. So so. Eliquis is a blood thinner. I know you know that, but our, some of our other listeners may not. And it is used in conditions like atrial fibrillation to try to prevent a blood clot. So the danger with AFib, the longer it goes on, or if you're flipping in and out of AFib in a normal rhythm, it can put you at risk from a blood clot going to your brain, which would cause a stroke, uh, or your heart, or somewhere else in your body. So... Um, as far as risk, there's a way to calculate that that they've probably already done on you called a CHADS-VASC score, uh, CHADS-VASC, C-H-A-D-V-A-S-C. Um, and based on that, and by age alone, even if you're healthy, you're going to score probably high enough that you would, it would probably, you would, you know, qualify at least for a blood thinner. I think you can talk to your physician, though, as active as you are, because the risk of being on Eliquis is a bleeding somewhere else. So if your body, you know, if your blood is getting thin to the point where you might have a bleed in your uh, GI tract or you might fall and, and bleed somewhere, 
it may be to your benefit to choose and after a discussion with them for, you know, something like aspirin, uh, full dose aspirin instead of that, which may not give you as much risk reduction for a stroke, but it may give you, you know, a little bit safer uh, as a choice. So that would be what I would, uh, what I would do, not knowing all the rest of the risk factors and having limited time. That would be the score that uh, that would determine whether or not yeah, you would benefit. From you that. didn't answer my question. My problem was I would just want to know what are the odds, the true odds in both both cases. Yeah, it depends on that score. Stroke, so you, because I know so everything you, else you told me is what I know, and I'm just trying yeah. to find out whether if it's only one and a half percent with without, and and two uh, percent with uh, taken uh, without. <clears throat> And one percent with taken Aliquis, uh, I'm not sure it's worth the, the change. Yeah, and 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 not knowing, but that that's why I said the Chad's vast score is the way that we we calculate that. So I, I'd have to know other things about you to plug into that equation to get those hard numbers for you. But age alone is going to put you up there pretty high enough to where it's probably going to be recommended to do the Eliquis. But hard numbers are going to have to come from that. I can't really just do that, you know, just saying if your age is 90 and you have AFib. But um, at, but that's an easy thing to do. You could probably plug it in yourself uh, or ask your physician. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart devices podcasting platform. <laughs>